Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. your Bible, look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. I received a package um, this week, a delightful package. <clears throat> it was left here. I'm not sure uh, exactly how, but I got after Monday night, and he got home, opened it. Don't you love getting packages? What is this? Got my name on it and all that. It turned out that inside the package, it was a Talbot's bag, so I thought Faith might have something to do with it, but she didn't. And it turned out to be uh, a gift from Mrs. Ruth Kempton for me. Uh, Dr. Kempton, two years ago, the great, I call him the Apostle Paul of our day. He really was. Some of you never had a joy of knowing him. But uh, uh, Ruth had in that package uh, one of Dr. Kempton's uh, Bibles, a reference Bible that she wanted to give me from his library. And along with that, she gave me one of his ties. Imagine that. That looks pretty good, doesn't it? I would never, and it had $75. Oh, it's still there. Oh, I would never spend that kind of money on a tie. And I don't know if it was a gift or not, but, but anyway. So I was thankful for that. And I'll keep, uh, I'll treasure, I'll treasure that, uh, that Bible forever. And uh, um, I pray that uh, God would use me like he used Dr. Kempton, uh, and Dr. Kempton, and thousands upon thousands of people's lives on, on all the continents, really amazing, amazing, just amazing. Well, uh, let's take our Bible. What, did you look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 5? <clears throat> I've entitled the message this morning, uh, What is a Disciple of Jesus? Uh, let's look at our text. In fact, uh, can we do something a little bit different? Let's, uh, let's stand in reverence for God's Word. Let me read it. Well, let's stand, okay? And then you can be seated again. <clears throat> it helps some of you that may want to fall asleep to stand. But we want to honor and reverence God's wonderful Word. Uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the Word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were, fish, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished <clears throat> at the catch of fish they had taken. 
And so when James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You may be seated. May God bless his wonderful word. Honey, may I have the water? What a wonderful, wonderful text this is. And uh, it has so much in it for us. Let's take a study of it here in our little time that we have. You know, for many, many today, they've, uh, they've lost their jobs. You read the same papers that I do, and you see the media, and uh, there's a lot of folks uh, that have lost their jobs. They say 10%. Uh, those are the reportable facts, maybe just a little under 10, maybe a little less in our area, but uh, there are a lot more than that that have just given up, and they don't even uh, have claims for unemployment and that kind of thing. Uh, and so <clears throat> they'll take a part-time job or they become underemployed, you know, a high-technically trained someone, uh, you know, doing uh, garbage collecting or something like that. I'm being dramatic, but you, you know what I mean. You weren't trained for that, and you take something less just because you like to live indoors and eat, right? We like that. Turn the heat up if you can and that kind of thing. And so part-time work. Did you know that there are many Christians who view their Christianity as part-time? You wouldn't believe it. You know, I know it's none of you, I hope, uh, but there are many that's, uh, that act that way. They would never say, hey, I'm a part-time Christian. Did you know that? No. No, but their, their life betrays them. And, uh, you know, it's not so much what we say, it's what we do, right? Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Took me a while to get that one down. But it's true. It's your life. That's what really screams. That really does. Part-time Christianity. Well, such ones give the Lord a small part of their life. Maybe, maybe, maybe even Sunday morning. Maybe not every Sunday morning. They sort of skip worship or only come if it's convenient. Well, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. God wants all of you. He saved all of you, not just part of you, not just part-time, all of you. You belong to the Lord, right? I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In other words, I've died to self, and it's all of him. He wants all of you. How about that old army picture the government used to use? Uncle Sam wants you. Well, Jesus bought you. He made you. He bought you through salvation if you're a Christian. And if uh, you're a Christian, he's making you like Christ. My old prophets say we're three times his. He made us. He saved us. He paid for us in his blood. And he's making us sanctification like Jesus, bit by bit, growing us, preparing us for heaven. You're not your own. So this part-time business of being a sort of part-time Christian is absolute nonsense. The reality is, probably more times than not, you may not be saved. may not be saved. Take heed to yourself. Examine yourself. Sometimes people really get upset when I say that. But you'll find that in the New Testament. You know, it'd be nice if everyone's eyes turned like a beautiful certain color, right? 
Let me see your, oh yeah, you're in, you're in. Nope, you're not. You know what I mean? And so the Bible says many, many places, let a man examine himself, not just for communion, uh, examine yourself to make sure you're found in the faith. Because the heart is so desperately wicked, you may have trusted your mother's prayer. I've heard that so many times. You know, my mother said, I prayed a prayer when I was five, and she said so, so it must be so. I'm sorry, that's not a testimony of conversion. You're trusting and putting faith in your mother's word. Have you come to personal faith in Jesus Christ? Are you really saved? Let me ask you, what's your life look like? What's your heart? What's your desire? You desire to live and serve the Lord. Are you a follower of him? Or is it only when it's convenient? Convenient Christianity. You know, we're bent on that in our culture. Don't we love convenience? You know, do you deliver, right? Can I drive through? I don't want to get out of the car. It's cold. I want my hamburger Big Mac driving through, right? Convenience. Convenience Christianity, part-time Christianity. Maybe no Christianity whatsoever. And so I can't check your eyeballs, although the eyes are beautiful, aren't they? It doesn't determine whether you're saved or not. Examine your own heart. Your life. I'm not saying a Christian cannot sin, for we are still in the process of growing in grace. Uh, we need not sin, but we sin. But to live in a state of unconfessed sin, those that are born again do not sin as a way of lifestyle, First John. So examine yourself. No part-time. Well, Dr. Luke, in his gospel, wants us to know for sure that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior. But more than that, Dr. Luke wants to bring you and me to the point that we'll make a decision to follow him. And he does this by allowing us to watch the Lord Jesus bring the first men to become his disciples. And so we're kind of looking over the shoulder, sitting in this boat, watching what's going on. Luke, the way he writes us, makes us uh, like a firsthand observer here, watching how the first men are called to become disciples. Not to, oh, that's interesting. There's people, oh, isn't that good? No, more than that, so that you and I will make the same decision to become followers full-time of the Lord Jesus Christ and get serious about this thing and not play games with it. That's his whole purpose. And so that's why I have on your sheet um, uh, uh, to do this, Luke uh, begins the next section telling how Jesus gathered people around him. Well, did you know in our text that there are four marks of a true disciple? of Jesus that must also be found in your life. Four marks, and they're very pronounced. There are a number of good writers on this text, Dr. Bach, Dr. Phil Riken, uh, even R.C. Sproul was fun to listen to. Uh, there are four marks of a true disciple of Jesus that must be found in your life. And I say it again, if you're not, if they're not found, that uh, you may be self-deceived and you're either disobedient as a Christian, and there's a lot of that, shouldn't be, or you're unsaved. 
All right, the first mark in verses 1 to 3 is you must listen to Jesus. How simple is that? You must listen to Jesus. And the text, just remind you again, on one day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening. You can underline it. They were listening to the Word of God by the Son of God, or God the Son. Listening. They were listening to the Word of God. Well, what can we say? A, Jesus had a growing reputation as a preacher and as a teacher. And the crowds were flocking to hear him teach the Word of God. It wasn't a magic show. He healed some. He had healed Peter's mother-in-law just earlier there in Capernaum. And uh, word was getting out. There's a prophet. There's a teacher. There's a rabbi there in Galilee on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. He's amazing. Maybe this is the one we've been waiting for. And so you can, and those that had needs, and, and many, many people, and those that were curious wanted to come to him to be healed, to hear him. And anyway, look at number one. Their motive was right. It wasn't a dog and pony show. They were flocking with a motive. We must hear him. We want to hear the Son of God teach. Now, reminded, in order to follow, we must first hear him. Wow, to hear him. Wouldn't that be something? There's some great preachers in our day. And uh, thank the Lord for uh, the digital uh, system. You know, you can download some of these just tremendous expositors. Uh, you know, not too many. Not too many years ago, it was the little white church with a steeple in the village, and that was it. You know, like you didn't. You rode in on a on a buckboard, and uh, you know, you had a meal, and I, you had a, you had worship, and then maybe they had a meal, and then they went home, and it was the big big event for the week, right? Not too many years ago, not too many decades ago, and then the car came and all that. But now the digital age can be used for good, can be used for bad, and it is. But for good, you can hear some great. Wouldn't it be great to hear, you know, we, you know, even Apple's not been able to do that yet, right? Here's the Lord Jesus from heaven. You want to download this one? Whoa, wouldn't that be fabulous to hear the Lord of glory teach? Well, they gathered to hear his word. Jesus was standing on uh, this Gennesaret. What in the world's that? It's just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And uh, he's pressed into, the, into a boat because the crowd uh, on, the, on the sloping bank that came down to the sea, there were many, many hundreds and hundreds and perhaps even more uh, pressing him, and he, he didn't want to fall into the water. So uh, he gets into the boat, and the boat is his, pul- his pulpit at that point. What a, what a pulpit that is. And I, and I remind you, B, out of the hundreds of fishermen present uh, in the area, uh, and there were, if we could trust Josephus, that first century Jewish historian who wrote that uh, in that day, uh, there were 330-some fishing boats on the Sea of Galilee. It, it was in a tremendous industry in that day. It's like going to Gloucester, Massachusetts, not too many years ago. Have you ever been up there? The great fishing town uh, uh, because of the restrictions and, and, and all the rest, and a lot of the fish have been fished out, they tell us. It's not like it was when we were up there as a kid, but you can still go up there and get an enormous plate of scallops for like, what was it, six bucks? I couldn't believe it. Faith and I were there. It was great. 
That's what this area was like. Bethsaida, just around a little bit, that means house of fish. It was a great fishing place where they would catch fish, they'd salt them, and they would send them throughout the Roman world. That's this area. And there, right in the very near vicinity, were two boats, the text tells us. And Jesus, out of all these boats that were on the lake, and there are two of them, Jesus, the text says, chose to use Peter's boat. Well, that was an accident, wasn't it? Boy, well, that was lucky for Peter, wasn't it? No way. If that's your view of God and of the Son of God, you've got to keep reading your Bible because God is sovereign, and from cover to cover, uh, He has a plan, and it's the unfolding of His plan, and God is the eternal I Am. He's not locked in the time-space sequence like you and I. We have to wait for an hour. You're wondering, what are we going to eat for lunch, and then what's later, and all the rest, right? God sees past, present, and future all at the same time. He's not locked in the time-space continuum like you and I are. God is the creator of time. We mark time through the relationship. But God is not. And God in eternity past had established this. Peter's there. He says, I'm Peter. How about your boat? It was no accident. Peter wasn't lucky. He didn't know what was coming yet. It's like the first time, if you're saved... You hear the gospel, and you go like, well, yeah, I did hear that. Well, that's, that was interesting. There were anything like that before. That was not an accident. God, uh, why me and not? That's God. God's up to something. God's going to be up to something in Peter's life. And uh, we know the, a lot of the rest of the story with Peter, but at that point, go back to where Peter was. He, he didn't really know. He was, he was interested. The Lord had been in his house for a synagogue meal, and he, and he raised up his mother-in-law. That's a tender-hearted thing, and no mother-in-law jokes today. I had a good one, a good mother-in-law, and she's in heaven now. But Peter knew, but he still had not made a decision to become a disciple of Jesus, not at all. But Peter, sitting in the boat, is going to be the one that most clearly hears the teaching of the Lord. You doubt that? You had a front row seat. Sometimes you go to a sporting event. You want that 50-yard line down right in front, right? Go to a basketball game. We're right down on midcourt where the action is. I'm putting my feet right on the, on the hardwood. Or you go to a hockey game, right? You want to get right down there under the glass. You know, I'm not getting hit with a puck. I want to get right. Peter, 50-yard line seat. He's pulling for the Colts. Boy, that was a surprise, wasn't it? He's right down there. He's closest, and, and no accident. God's up to something here. Peter, he's clueless. He's tired. I mean, he worked the third shift. He was up all night. We read it in the text. And anyway, uh, here he is. So for, it's a reminder that uh, to be a follower of, of Jesus, to be a disciple, the first mark is you must listen to the Word of God. And so see, for anyone who wants to follow Jesus, you might say the ear is the most important body part, the ear. You ever think about our body? It's a, they used to write about that hundreds of years ago. Theologians would talk about the anthropological arguments for God, you know. They look at the nature of man. They look at the body. They look at the metaphysical, and they, it would shout glory to God. Well, the, our, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It, it, it is amazing. The closer you look at what God has done, the more amazed you will be. 
I mean, they used to talk about the simple cell. Uh, that's before we had electron microscopes and all the rest. That We look into that now, and we're absolutely mystified. Uh, the, compl- the utter complexity of a singer cell, and you have billions of them in your body. They're busier than, like, New York City with all that's going on in there. Absolutely marvelous. Well, having said that, you have five senses that God has uh, given to you. Um, and, and to me, you know, we have them, and they're going, going, almost gone, it seems, you know, and one of those is hearing, right? We, got, we can see, hearing, taste, right, smell, and touch. Those are the five senses. If you didn't have them, we'd bump into each other. You wouldn't even know you bumped into them. You wouldn't. You would not. And how about the ears? Aren't they great, right? And they're kind of funny looking, you have to admit. They're kind of funneled. I got news for you, there's no evolutionary development here. None. Did you ever notice how they funnel forward, not back? You know, there's a reason for that. God wants us to hear. And the sound waves that, that are caught by the funnel effect. You know, these in your earlobe, you know what they are? You see all the body, they're not for body piercing. So, you know, some are, think they are, and the ladies do it. It looks, it looks beautiful on ladies. I, you know, I'm not wild about it. I won't go there. But it's, a, it's, a, it's really, do you know what that's for? A little bit of blood uh, goes there and is retained there so that it keeps your outer ear warm when you go outside on the daylight. So your ear, the cart doesn't fall off. Just kind of like, wow, that's an evolutionary accident. Isn't that wonderful? No, God made it, designed it. And it funnels the sound in, and you have a sheath called the eardrum. Don't be sticking anything in your ear canal there. You'll wish you hadn't. And in the inside, the eustachian tube equalizes the pressure on that. That's what gets messed up when you get a sore throat. And then those waves vibrate like a, like a drum, you know, the vibration. Three little bones in the middle ear. Anybody remember that, the names of them? And, uh, yeah, okay, I'll take it. And, and they vibrate, and they go to the inner ear. It's just phenomenal. And you've got, I was reading in, in National Geographic some time ago, it's like a piston system, these little pistons in the inner ear that take this vibration, and they're doing this kind of thing, and, there's a, and it connects electrically, uh, uh, and it takes all those different up-and-down pistons translates it into electrical impulses, goes to the part of the brain, and you can hear your mother saying, dinner! And you go like, that's amazing. And if that weren't enough, God gives you the cochlea there with the, is it the balance then? So you're not sort of like falling down all the time. You got balance in it. Incredible. And and let me just say, right, one mouth, two ears. You think about it, that's instructive. Slow to speak. That's my kindergarten teacher. Throw the key away. Everybody knows that. Two ears, quick to hear. Oh, would to God we would do that. A disciple must listen with the wonderful ears, the amazing ears, God's wonderful word. It's part one. It's, it may be the most important, but I remind it, it's not the only part. For we must follow body and soul as a disciple. Well, what's it mean? Number one, for us, listening means it means reading what Jesus said in the Bible. It means studying it on our own and with others. 
It means listening attentively to biblical preaching and teaching and make sure you're present, pen in hand, take notes. You know, the, uh, a pen in hand is like a third eye. We used to teach in our, in our uh, college classes uh, and, and studying. You know, I study so much better. Uh, I read so much better with a pen in hand. I mark up everything. Mark up your Bibles. Mark it up. Little notes. Write notes. You'll be a better student. Studying, listening. Why? We're going to listen to the Word of Jesus. It means listening to biblical preaching and teaching. It's at Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? The Word of God. That's how people come to know Christ the Lord as Savior and begin the life of discipleship. You must hear to be saved. Now, there's danger. There's danger in them thar hills. You ever hear that cartoon? I can't remember who the little guy was, but you say that all the time. There's danger in hearing. Did you know that? Danger. There's danger in not hearing. What is it? Hell is forever. That's, that's bad danger. It's dangerous. But there's also danger in hearing. There is. And uh, Jesus warned us, sadly, many will listen to a sermon without ever doing them. That's dangerous. Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 11, and we should have it up on the board, uh, Matthew eleven twenty through uh, 20, is it 24? Jen, do we have that? Matthew 11. Let's see what Jesus said by way of warning about hearing and not doing. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. And look at this. He pronounces a number of woe. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. The miracles that were performed and you have been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, Jesus speaking now, but I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on, de- on the day of judgment than for you. And, and you, Capernaum. Now, he's just outside Capernaum here when he's teaching our, our text today. Will you be lifted up to the, to the skies? In other words, in their pride? No, you'll, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, can you imagine that? It would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it would be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Now, there's a lot in this. The only point I want to make here is it's dangerous for us to hear biblical truth whether it's taught or in our quiet time or through a biblical sermon or not, and to say, okay, oh, that was interesting, and go our way and never build it by God's grace into our life through His Spirit. Dangerous. Dangerous. You know what what it is? You're heaping greater judgment on yourself. In fact, let me put it this way. I feel this strongly about it. If, If you in your heart here are not ready to put into your life the things we're teaching now, you're better to just get up and go out the door now. Just leave. That's what he's saying. Don't listen to any more because you're going to heap up greater judgment when God calls you to account. And he will. All of us will stand before him. So nobody's gone. So I guess we're all saying, Lord, I will do that, right? By, by your own inertia of sitting there or sleeping or whatever you're doing, right? I hope not. Well... That's what he's saying, danger. Well, that's, we must listen. That's the first mark. They came. They came with the right motive. They wanted to hear the word of God. That's the first mark of a true disciple. 
listening to the Word of God. Can't get enough of it. Can't get enough. I remember when the Lord began to really draw me close to Himself when I was a senior in high school. I was thinking back on it. It's kind of odd. I mean, I don't hear of it too much, but uh, I had dated a girl at that point, and I said to her, there was... I said, well, let's go down into the city of Buffalo. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a preacher preaching down there at youth time on Friday, on Friday nights. And so uh, a couple of times I, I, I invited her to go. I went myself a number of times. I went down there. I couldn't get enough. Uh, I wanted to go and, and be, and, and my life was not like that earlier. But God was beginning to draw me early that senior year, and I couldn't get enough of the Word. I was down there buying books on prophecy. It was buying, I, I couldn't get enough. I wanted to know the Scriptures. It's been the joy of my life. I said at that point, if you could ever come to know this book, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? I had such a hunger for that. And I thought to myself, and I think of it many weeks, God has allowed me the, the sweet joy of digging into it every single week and to feed my soul. He's answered that for some 30 years, and it's been so, such a blessing. I'm saying to you, you can't get enough. If God is, is in you, if you are saved, you will have a hunger for it. Some of you hunger for pizza, right? He says, I can't get enough of it. Super Bowl was great. We had all kinds of pizza pie and all that, and I just can't get enough of it. Something far greater than that is the appetite that God will put in you, not for pizza, Right? but for his word, and to have it clearly taught and, and to be taught. Wow. That's, that's listening to the word. Second mark uh, of a disciple of Jesus that I'm saying to you must be found in your life, and that is you must turn from sin. Must be. You must turn in confession and repentance. Uh, repentance simply mean, metanoia means to change your mind about you're headed this way, and you go like, whoa, that's not the right way. And you do a 180, and now you're going the other way. That's all the word means, to change your thinking about it. You once ran towards it, and there is pleasure in sin for a season, but now you see how it grieves the Spirit of God, and that's not what God made you for. And you want to now please Him in every avenue of your life, your thinking, your motives, your words, your deeds. Oh, God, you say, oh, Lord. And I'm saying to you, you must turn from your sin. A true disciple is a penitent disciple. Look at the example of Peter in our context. Look at verse 4. Let's, let's see it again. And when, he, and when he had finished speaking, the Lord ended his sermon. He said to Simon, that's Peter, put out into the deep water, let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, uh, master, circle the word master because it's a different word uh, than uh, the word Lord he's going to use in a little bit later. This is the word that simply means like teacher. Oh, uh, teacher, he says, uh, teacher, teacher, uh, we, uh, maybe you didn't know, but we worked hard all night, hard all night, and didn't catch anything. Now, if you're in a commercial fishing business and that's your livelihood, uh, you, you got zero pay for the night, you know, zero. And they didn't have unemployment. That meant uh, you were in trouble if that went on very long. Get the idea here. Uh, that was his livelihood. It wasn't like, hey, it's trout day. Let's go out and fish for trout, April 1st, whatever it is. No, it was his livelihood. We, haven't, we didn't catch anything, nothing, nada, zero. But because you say so, I'll let down the net. 
And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And they, so they signaled their partners, that's James and John, the Zebedees, got to love the Z's, right? And they come over to help them. And uh, both boats are so full of fish, they're starting to sink. Verse 8, Simon Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees. How can that be? Jesus is sitting in the boat. That's why. And his knees are out. And Peter prostrates himself at the knees of the sitting teacher, the Lord Jesus. Nets are in the boat. Fish are hanging out. Boats are almost going down. You got the picture? Very unusual response. You, you have to say that. It's kind of, kind of amazing, really. And he says, go away from me, depart from me, Lord. Now it's Lord. It's a different word. It's curios, curio. Lord, sovereign, it's a word for God. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the fish they had taken. I'm saying to you, if you're going to be a disciple, you must not only listen to God's word and, and, and eat and eat frequently and, and, and just what a diet. But second, you must turn from your sin. Jesus, A, led Peter to repentance by a strange request. Let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. Don't you love that? Some of you guys like to fish. I know that. I know that for sure. JT told me he loves fishing. Loves to fish. Anyone else like fish? Who likes to fish here? Some of you guys like to fish, yeah? Smallmouth bass, is that what you go for? Do you? Yeah. Dave, do you catch much? Not much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was most impressed in the area. I know they have. Uh, you can pull out a lot of smallmouth bass at certain times of the year. Like Chris Cobb used to tell me that they pull out like a bushel basket full. That's quite a bit. I don't know if that's a fishing tail or not. But uh, but the most impressive thing, Mark, was that muskie you caught. That was uh, on your wall and your. I the Susque. Did you know the Susque has muskie in there? Well, they had one in there one time. Right? <laughs> it's on Mark's wall now. But uh, you threw him on the bank, though, didn't you, with your hands? Yeah. I was in Alaska one time, and we went fishing, and I pulled in this coho salmon. It was a whale of a fish. For a guy who had never fished, I, I tried, you know, but I never did really well with the Niagara River and all that th stuff. A few carp in those days. But I pulled in a whale of this. This salmon was, it gets bigger as I remember it. It's just, it's like an enormous thing. And I'm fighting to bring this thing in. And finally, I get him on land. And I, we had a guide with us, uh, Glenn and I. And he said, nope, you got to throw him back in. I said, what? I have never caught a fish like this in all my life. And you say I got to throw it back in. Against the rules, you hooked them by the tail, got to get them by the lip. And I'm looking around, there is nobody. I mean, for what, 50 miles probably. And this guy was like G.I. Joe rule book. And it's going. And I didn't have any choice. I said, you know, he's going upstream to die. He's in. And you didn't catch him by the lip. Okay. Well, later we caught, I caught three, so that's all you could get. Fishing, going fishing. That's, that's what Jesus said, let's go fishing. Well, Peter, number one, must have thought, what in the world does a carpenter know about fishing? What does he know? He 
can't know much. You know, like, okay, stick to your theology. He's, he's a rabbi, right? He's a t- stick to that stuff. You, you, you know that stuff. Okay, you do some of these healings, and my mother, okay, okay. Uh, and, and lend my boat, okay, all right, I'll, I'll, you can use my boat. But you're going to tell me how to fish? Uh, Jesus, this is my world. I'm a professional, right? I'm a professional. And the Lord was going to now speak the language that Peter really knew to really, really see Peter come to the point of decision, of repentance and confession and discipleship. He was going to speak uh, fish language. And isn't it amazing God has a way of doing that? He speaks our languages and brings us in our world to himself. He has amazing ways of doing that. And so uh, the carpenter says, uh, uh, put out, we're going to fish. Even though Peter had fished all nights, and the text tells us the nets were cleaned, and that's what they would do. They'd pull these big nets up. They'd uh, lay them on the banks. They would mend them where they were torn by the rocks and whatever. They'd mend them. They'd clean them. And then they would dry them in the sun. Uh, for the day so that they would uh, fish at night. And that was common. They would fish at night because of the, the, the hot weather, and uh, the fish would go down deep during the day, and so you couldn't catch them. So they would more come to the surface in the evening at night, so they'd go out, and that was the manner of catching fish in that day. They'd go out at night, and they would uh, drop down their nets and catch them. But, but uh, he had worked third shift. He was pooped. He was uh, listening to Peter. You let Jesus, you, uh, listening to Jesus, let him use his boat. But now, but now he's saying, let's go out and fish. Wow. Well, Peter's annoyed. But let me back up. You see, he first needed to learn that Jesus can be trusted. Have you come to that point in your life? Have you come to learn to be able to trust our verse, trust the Lord with all your heart? Have you come to Learn that Jesus can be trusted. You must. If you're ever going to be a disciple, you've got to learn to trust the word of Jesus. Well, what do I mean? Uh, Jesus tells us many, many things in his wonderful word. They that have the Son have life. Do you trust that? Right? Absent from the body, his wonderful word tells us, present with the Lord. You trust the word on that. Trust. Heaven is a long time. Hell is equally as long. Trust the Lord on that. Uh, If you are saved, he forgives you of all of your sin. It doesn't matter what the garbage can of your life looks like. It's all gone as far as the east as the west. Isn't that great? That's good news for you and you and you and this guy, for all of us. Our sins may look different, but it's still a garbage can as far as the east is from the west. And you know what? Isn't that interesting that he said east and west? He said north and south on the, on the globe. If, if you go north, pretty soon you go over the pole. You're going south. But you go east all you want, and you notice on the earth you're never going west? That was not an accident. They never meet again. All under the blood. Isn't that wonderful? We have to learn to trust. Peter needed to learn to trust the Lord. The Lord said, we're going fishing. Wow, let's do it. Let's go fishing. Well, Peter B. is annoyed. He's annoyed. If you don't see it in the text, uh, he sort of chastens and rebukes the Lord. Have you ever tried to do that? He's trying to straighten Jesus out. 
I know you never do that. You get some news, and maybe it's tough news, or maybe you may be out of a job, or maybe it's sickness with a child, or maybe it's just injustice. You ever have that happen to you? You get your toes run over like Roadrunner? Woo! What was the name of that truck that just ran you over, right? It happens, right? Called life in a fallen world. It, it, it's exactly it. And uh, you go like, Lord Jesus, why did you have that? You try and straighten them out in your prayer life. If you had, if you had only known, remember like Martha, right? Mary and Martha. If you had only been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. They're trying to straighten them out, right? And Peter is annoyed in the text, and he, and, and he, he reminds them, we, we have, look, Master, we, we worked hard all night. We didn't catch a thing. But, don't you love the buts? You can almost circle those in your Bible. It's a whole Bible study. All the buts in the Bible. Now, it's not the other thing, okay? But, you, you know, the but negates everything. You know, did you cut the grass? Oh, yeah, I cut the grass, Dad. But that means just eliminate everything that was said up to that point. I just not, Here's the but. Now here's the real deal after the but. That's how that works. But, okay, if you say so. All right, we'll do, I'll do, we'll, let down, we'll do that. We'll go fishing. We'll let down the nets. Uh, after that mild uh, trying to straighten Jesus out. Uh, wow, he reluctantly obeys him after fishing all night. And what, the, what happens? He catches the enormous catch. It's the catch of a lifetime, if you will. It's absolutely uh, amazing, and, and, and it is. I mean, uh, when you fish for a living, I mean, you've seen most everything, right? You've seen the big ones, the little ones. You've seen all kinds of strange things, Right? And for a, a fisherman, a salty fisherman like Peter, to see this demonstration of the power of God in Jesus in the catch of fish, it must have been absolutely mind-staggering. He spoke his language and brought him to conviction of his sin in this enormous catch and brought him to repentance. Wow. Wow. What a catch. And I notice here that Peter's response wasn't like, Lord, you're amazing. Let's go in the business together. I've got a contract here. If you just sign here, we're going to make a lot of money. Right? R.C. Sproul makes me laugh when he imagines that whole scenario. No, that wasn't it at all, was it? He's on his face, in the boat, at the Lord's knees. The net and the fish are in. The ship is going down. These are 20 and 30 feet long fishing boats. And he's, in, he's repentative and confessing, and we'll see that in a moment. Jesus, you see, revealed his power over the creation. And that's a part of the reason why Dr. Luke includes this in his gospel of certainty here, that Jesus has power not only the demon world over Satan and the temptation, the demon world over various sicknesses. We saw that last time. Uh, but also over creation. He's the creator. He's the creator. He's the creator. And, and, and here he is. Uh, he speaks, and all the fish come. Is that amazing? That's amazing. 
God knows where his fish are, and he moves them into the net. Is that something? And the Lord didn't say, like, he never said, Peter, I didn't realize there'd be that many fish. I don't see that in my Bible. Do you see that in yours? No, he's omniscient God in flesh. And he directs the fish. And notice the fish say, no, no, Lord, I don't, no, no. Only human beings do that to sovereign God, you know. Do this. Uh, No, no. The rest of creation, outer space, everything else, they do his will. Your will be done on earth even as it is and has always been in the heavens. And the fish say, yes, master. And they swim to the net, and they couldn't get there fast enough. And it's right on time. It's a miraculous catch. It's God's involved. And notice the fish didn't arrive 10 minutes early and then left. Do you notice that, the timing? You wonder about time in your life. You know, I'm running behind. No, you're right on time. And God's timing is perfect. And they didn't show up a day late. Do you ever notice that? Right on time. It's amazing. It's right in the text. God is amazing. He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of your life. The only question is, are you a disciple, not part-time, but full-time, of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what Luke is presenting here, and as we see it over the shoulder, looking at him dealing with Peter. Well, Peter's response is unexpected. He does not invite him to go into business. He falls at his knees, and he sees his utter sinfulness in the presence of holy God. Holy, holy. He discovered to his horror that holy God was standing in his boat. I don't know how you would respond to that, but there have been some godly men that it's recorded in our Bible that, uh, like Isaiah, when uh, he writes, uh, "Woe Woe unto me and others, The closer we get to the holy God that is, the more sinful utterly we feel. You know, it's true also in in little Christian's life. That's what a a little Christ's life, that's a Christian, you know. Uh, People sort of feel uncomfortable about you. you. If you're growing in grace and in holiness and you love people and you love the Lord, people will feel uncomfortable around you. Why? You bear that likeness of Jesus. And it has a stinging effect. Salt and light. Salt stings. Don't mean to. It adds flavor, of course. How can you eat French fries without salt on it? You need that flavor, right? But it has a burning sense as well. Sometimes people will say that to me. They'll they'll discover, you know, like, oh, you're a minister of the gospel. Oh, please excuse my language. As if they, you know, it's it's. It's they're offending holy God, but they they see a pastor as at that moment a, a a representative of Jesus, and they feel that sense of shame or guilt or conscience. And the same thing is true of all believers. It's true, and here's Peter. He's horrified now in the boat, uh, and uh, he sees holy God. He senses with his conscience that's a God-given gift. Thank the Lord for a good conscience. Get a clear conscience and keep it working in order. It's a gift. It's a gift it is. It is. Rocks and stones and birds and and, and lions, they don't have consciences. If you limp your lunch in the animal world, 
It's true. And they don't feel badly about it at all. That was, uh, you, you know, better than McDonald's to them, right? God made them that way, and that's how they function in our world. But God has built men and women, boys and girls, with a conscience that intuitively knows right and wrong, and it's like an alarm system. When you do wrong, the alarm goes off. Now, you can stuff your ears and harden your heart and, and repeatedly do it, and we talk about a seared conscience and a hard heart, and that's what we mean. But get it right through confession and fight to keep it clear every single day. It's the way of the blessed path, and it really is. You won't live a double life and all that nonsense we read about. It should never happen. Well, depart from me, verse 8, depart from me. Depart from me, seeing his utter sinfulness. Well, this, you can, you can highlight, it's the great turning point in Peter's life. If this didn't happen, you would have no books in the Bible, humanly speaking, called Peter. First, Second Peter, you wouldn't have Peter in Acts at all, chapters 1 to 13. He's the predominant figure after the ascension. Peter, this is the turning point. And I'm reminded every one of us have to have a turning point in life, not only at salvation, but uh, it should be at the same moment, I'm a disciple of Jesus, a turning point. And Peter, Peter's turning point. Uh, our sinful hearts uh, at first desire to push him away as well, don't they? We come to hear the law, that we're lawbreakers. That's why we preach the law. You preach law, then you preach grace. People don't know that they're lost. That's why they don't know they need to be saved. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm okay, you're okay. That's the problem. None of us are okay. We're comparing ourselves with the wrong comparison. And so they, people need to know the law of God. Why? The law is a schoolmaster, a tutor. It shows us how far we fall short, and it speaks to the conscience. And we feel shame, and we feel guilt, true guilt, and we're legally guilty, and it brings us to Christ. Now, a lot of times when we're exposed and we feel that shame, we live in a day almost where we don't see shame anymore. It's a day where there's very little blushing going on with all sorts of horrendous sin, and you see it as well as I do. We ought to be blushing as a culture, as a people all the time, but we don't because of a hard conscience. But when God begins to reveal himself and we see his holiness and we see ourself, uh, it is very common, once exposed, to, to push him away. I'm not going back there again anymore. I don't want to hear that anymore. Or like Adam and Eve, once they sinned, what they hid and they covered their bodies, what shame. But the reality is that you and I as sinners need to do the exact opposite. We need not push him away, depart from me, get out of my boat. I'm feeling really terrible here. We need to run toward him. He's the Savior. He is, he is, he is the one who came, that's the reason he came, to take away our sin and our guilt and our shame. We need to run to him, not away. You see, God can still use Peter, and he's going to in a great way. And he can still use you and, and me, and he desires to do that. Isn't that amazing? Wow. You must turn from your sin, though. We must listen to Jesus. We must turn from our sin. Boy, Brett Hume, didn't he get beat up in the media two weeks ago? Talking about Tiger Woods 
I didn't realize Tiger Woods was a Buddhist. Buddhist is absolute pure nonsense. Another human effort at feeling good about yourself. Did you know that? Let me show you just in a word what nonsense Buddhism is. You know in Buddhism, good and evil are the same? You could punch an old lady in the face. You could kill her or help her across the street. And in Buddhism, it's all the same. That's absolute nonsense. That's nonsense. Don't get sucked in by that. Okay? This all there, aren't they peaceful? Oh, it's, it's, it's evil. It's evil. It's evil. And, he, and Brett Hume was wonderfully saved. Now, he's an Episcopalian, but God saves, and he has people at all places. His son committed suicide. I was interested to read the story in the late 90s, and it was devastating to Brett Hume. And Brett Hume made a comment on Sunday morning, something about Tiger Wood, and he said, what Tiger needs to do is, is to, I, I, I don't know exactly the wording, uh, not turn from Buddhism or something like that, but he needs to find Christ, to find or to become a Christian and find the forgiveness that, uh, that he needs, the release of that womanizing sin that he was, the, everyone is becoming aware of. And Britt went on to say, it's horrible. We're seeing the destruction of a man, a, gra- a great man. He was a model. He's an incredible golfer. And we're seeing him be destroyed. What he needs is the forgiveness that Christ and Christianity can offer. Well, you can imagine in this naughty day we live in, that you know, where nothing is ever right or wrong, where, where no one knows anything for certain, right, to say Christ is the way, and that's what that man, they went crazy on. Well, I saw later, I was so proud of that guy. He didn't back down at all. He, that veteran, uh, I mean, his stock went way up in my book. And he, he just said, you know, uh, he, he needs to be forgiven. He needs to know the way. He's exactly right. And if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you need to listen to him. But more than that, you need to, you need to turn from sin and find forgiveness and cleansing and to, and to find it daily. But more than that, third, quickly now, you must fish for people. If you're going to be a, a disciple of Jesus, you must tell other people about Jesus. And the text, look at 10b now. Uh, Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You're going to not catch fish anymore, Peter. You're going to catch people, boys and girls, and men and women. You're going to tell others about me. Well, A, Jesus gives Peter a new calling for his life. It's a new direction. You're going to, actually in the Greek, it means you're going to catch alive. Now, when when we would catch him alive, you know, we'd put him on a string and take him home and flay him and eat him, right? Put a little egg and flour and that's good eating stuff, right? This, uh, this idea, that was catch and kill, right? Catch and kill. I never, never got into this, this catch and release. Some of you may be in that, but it was like, uh-uh, no, I'm out here fishing. Uh, if he's legal, he's going home with me kind of a thing. Uh, but it was catch and alive. It implies that there's danger here uh, and, and that we are to rescue others from it. 
What is the danger? We're to rescue other people as we follow as disciples. We're to rescue them from the deep sea of sin. That's what it's about. This is be the ultimate catch and release program, huh? Right? Caught by the gospel and released from sin. Isn't that great? It's the ultimate one. So, okay, I, I can do that one. I like that program. Caught by the gospel, released from sin. That's what God is saying. If you're going to be a disciple, listen to my word, yeah, turn from sin, and go fishing. It's in season. It's always in season. You say, well, it's not in season yet. Trout, not till April. Uh, no, it's always open. It's always in season. And uh, this is not just for Peter. It's for all of us who follow Jesus, and everyone is to tell. You say, well, what do I tell? Listen, one of the greatest things you can do is just tell your story. We call it a testimony, but just tell your story. You say, well, is that any good? Look at Peter. I mean, look at Paul. Read Acts three times in court. What does he say over and over and over again? Three times he tells a story about how God saved him. I, I used to kill the Christians. He killed them. I was on my road to Damascus, and the Lord met me and saved me, and I've never recovered. And he bore witness of that. Tell your story. Every one of us have a unique story. All right? It does, even if he saved you at an early age. Tell the story of it. I'll tell you what Jesus did for me. Tell your story. Tell. Evangelism, too, is a lot like fishing. You don't know what you're going to catch. But the truth is, if you don't drop your line or your net, you're not going to catch anything, Right? I did read a story in Reader's Digest once. A guy was in a boat, and a huge fish jumped right out of the water into his boat. I never had that happen, ever. Anyone ever had that? Mark, did you ever have that? Did you? He hit the side. Yeah, he was itching to get out. That's never happened to me. You got to drop the net, drop the line, and you got a fish. It's not a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get, but it's sort of like that. And God is at work, right? Our job to fish, his job to fish, get in the net. And he does that, and he will do that. Drop the net. How do we do that? See, we do it by inviting, how do we fish? We invite folks to Bible study. We bring them to worship, right? We gather. Here, this pastor of mine, oh my goodness sakes, hold on. Fasteners say, testify of God's goodness in our daily life. That's a wonderful thing to do. I forever am saying that. I'm talking to people, there's uh, uh, different ones that, oh, I'm an atheist. I tell them about the goodness of God. I don't care if they, they're, they're not atheists. The Bible says there's no atheists. They're not in a fox, so they're lying to themselves. They know that God is. So I talk about God's goodness. Well, the Lord's been so good. And they, they look at me, and they, but they're all kind of like listening. They want to just talk about God's goodness in your life through surgery, your children, grandchildren, through whatever. Just, just broadcast it. Don't be a chameleon. Speak freely of God's goodness. God will use that. That's a part of fishing. God will say, well, what's it been? My life is sort of, wow, what is this? And God will draw them in. It's his job to do that. Drop the line. Uh, so tell them. And, and essentially, sharing the gospel in any and every way you can. Go fishing. It's in season. In season, God's plan is to use sinful men and women, now saved, to catch others. The called out ones are now to be the callers. That's us. 
Dr. Bach says to be a fisherman is to be a fish who is able to relate what it means to be pulled out of the dangerous waters by God's grace. That's not bad. That's what we're to be up to and we're to be doing. And so to make disciples is to bring people under the Saviorhood and the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fishing, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to go fishing. Listen, a lot of you live very boring lives. That's true? How many? Don't know. Don't raise your hand. But a lot of folks, oh, it's so boring. I hate my job, you know, and it's so boring. And it's, ah, you know, like, oh, man, please, please. Don't tell anyone you're Christian when you get into that, okay? Look, you want to know how to change your life? Go fishing. I'm telling you, it's exciting. People will say all kinds of things to you. And in the midst of it, God will save some. You go like, wow, I can't believe it. Change your life and change their life. You know, you can teach a, you, you can give a man a fish, what? He can eat for the day. You can teach a man how to fish, and he can feed himself all his life, right? But you can fish for people, and what? They'll live forever. I tell you, you want to make a friend? They'll never forget you. And then when you die, they'll be there blessing God that you shared the wonderful words of life, and God used them to save their soul. You want to make your life exciting? Get on board and get in the game. Too many people sitting on the sideline in the churches eating hot dogs. Get down onto the field. Be a disciple. Listen to his word. Do it daily. Turn from your sin every day. Say, Lord, cleanse me. Beyond that, fish. It's in season. Some of you act like it hasn't been in season forever. God has strategically placed you. Now, here's the thing. He's sovereign. If you disobey and don't do it, God will just bring other fishermen around. And he'll have them share the word. They'll get the blessing. They'll get the reward. And you're going to get your fanny paddled at the judgments. You won't read it quite like that in the word. But that's the way my mother used to talk. And, you know, mama's always right. And that's what the word teaches. And you'll lose the blessing. Fish. Fish. Stop having a boring life. Catch others for Christ. It'll fill your heart with joy, richness, and excitement. It really will. Fourth and last. You must leave everything behind. Listen to Jesus. Turn from sin. Fish. Fish. Catch them alive. Four, you must leave everything behind. Each step here in discipleship seems a little harder than the last, but it's God's work in our life. Look at verse 11, the final verse of our text. So they pulled their boats up on shore, and they left everything, and they followed him. This is one of the most dramatic moments in Luke's entire gospel. They left everything and followed. Wow, that's something. Well, what did they leave? Well, they left their career ambitions. They left their sin. They left safety and security, that's for sure. Wow. Many Christians say they want to follow Jesus, but they try to take everything with them, don't they? Have you ever noticed that? They do. That. At death, they don't take any more. I've had hundreds of funerals. I've never seen any U-Haul behind the hearse. None. None. It's all stripped away at that point. Many people say, I, I'm a follower of Christ, but they try to take everything. It's impossible. Absolutely impossible. Uh, many, one man writes uh, on this subject uh, that many call themselves Christian, but they're not willing to give up selfish ambitions, self sinful pleasures, comfortable surrounding, 
bitter grudges, uh, precious idols, or simply the right to live the way they want to live. That's what uh, Dr. Reichen wrote on that. And now the priority, Jesus said, of, of the lives of the disciple is no longer fishing of Peter and company, but it's following Jesus and it's fishing for people. Well, just imagine if Peter tried to drag all this stuff as he followed Jesus. Imagine that. Wouldn't that be some? As he went around to the city, uh, the villages of Galilee and the villages preaching and all that. And what is that? Well, that's Peter and James and they're, they're They're carrying the boat and the nets and everything else. And then the, the long trek up to the mount uh, to Jerusalem. Get it up there. One more push. We almost got it. No way. They would have missed it all, right? You can't. You can't do it. You can't carry it all. Leave it. True discipleship is costly. There's no way Peter could drag all that stuff as he followed Jesus. It's costly. Jesus demands not part of you, no part-timers here, but all of you. But you know what? It's liberating. It's, uh, it is so liberating to release it all to him. It is. Uh, one story is told about Cora, lived in Philadelphia in uh, 2003. Cora was, uh, was a Christian who was, was working through these issues in her own life. And, and one day, uh, her apartment complex caught on fire. And the word was, get out, get out of the apartment. The place is on fire. And she ran into uh, some of the rooms of her apartment, started gathering up stuff, and uh, realized that uh, she couldn't take very much, and uh, it was foolish anyway to linger any longer. And so she went to the door, uh, having put down just about all of it, and she said, Lord, this is all your stuff. I'm releasing it. It's yours. If you want me to have any of this stuff, then you take care of it. And she ran out the door down the fire escape and, and was saved. And when it was all said and done, she went back up there, and uh, some of the stuff was damaged, but a lot of the stuff made it. She released it all. Isn't that great? It, you know, to do that, you don't own your homes and your cars and your, you know, your kids and grand. You don't own them. Release them. You don't own your life. You don't own your bank accounts. Our schooly government, the way they're going, it's going to be worthless anyway. You say, well, I've saved up this much. If inflation hits like it did in Germany in the, in the 20s, and th- <laughs> hey, we're all going to be standing in line looking for bread somewhere, right? It's worthless. It's not yours. It's not yours to keep. Release it. God may want you to use it for this or that, but God may entrust it back to you, but it's his. Give it to him for his glory. That's what a disciple does. It's not hauling all this stuff. And I found the Lord to be so kind and tender. Once we have the right heart attitude on our kids and everything else and, and the stuff, that he lends it to us and it releases us. Isn't it great? You release your kids, Lord, that, and, and your adult kids. Last night our Jonathan was flying to California. I slept good. Lord, he's yours. You know? And all the rest. And on and on and on and on. Release so you can follow, so you're not encumbered. One of the last things my father said to me before I got married, he didn't always listen to that, but he was right. He said, I'll tell you, give it travel light. Now, he wasn't saved, and he meant something else, but those words really almost sound biblical, don't they? 
travel light. Well, the question, what are you dragging around with you? What are you dragging around that's holding you back? I'm telling you, Jesus is calling you to follow him. Let me urge you to answer the call. Well, what are some lessons for our life when we'll be done? Number one, perhaps uh, you need to be caught by the gospel net today. Maybe you're here and you say, well, I, I don't know Christ. The Lord is my Savior. You need to be saved. We already said that uh, Faithy's testimony today, uh, man knows not his hour. You get hit by a bus today. People walking in the street, have you noticed that? Sidewalks aren't navigable. Uh, just, you must be saved. I don't care how old you are, young or old. Have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus? Have you been saved? Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and as my God. You must be saved. Have you found the gospel net? Oh, I urge. Anything I can do to help, pray with you, talk to you, I'm glad to do that. Number two. Number two. Listen to Jesus. Read and study God's Word every single day. And then come with hungry hearts to hear it taught. I, pr- I study hard all week. I pray all week. I pray that God's would rip your hearts open so that when I preach, the Spirit of God would, like an arrow, pierce your heart for His glory. I could care less if you can spell my name. It's really not even important. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. Listen to His Word. It's the thing that will change you. I promise you. I know. I know in my own life. Number three. Number three. The closer you draw to Jesus, the more you'll be aware of your sinfulness. Godly people, the godliest people I know, know how absolutely and totally and really unworthy they really are. They don't, they're not deluded with, well, I've done a little bit of sin. That, re- that tells me you're not close to Jesus. That you don't really know what your condition really is. It's worse than you would ever imagine. And so is mine. Draw close. Be covered under the blood. And you're redeemed. Isn't that great? Number four. Number four. Live the exciting life. Fish for men and women, boys and girls. God will use you. I promise. He will. Go fishing. Quit with a boring life. Fish. Fish. Catch them alive. The ultimate catch and release program. That's a mark of a disciple. Are you a disciple? Where's your fishing line? Get your nets. And number five and last, like Peter, God calls you to discipleship and urges you to follow him and to never, never, never turn back. Never. 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 